welcome back to Curious Combinations and Everything's an Original Podcast. I'm AF Tanith, and today I'm covering Umbrella Academy Season 3, Episode 2. Victor is finally out, you guys. I can't pretend I adore the way it was handled, but it wasn't wildly mishandled or anything like that, so I'm good with it. I do have one little gripe about it that I'm going to get into later, but all in all, I would say that they handled it about as well as could be expected, considering that it wasn't in their original plan for the season or the show. So, our episode proper opens in the hotel. Death is sulking at his hotel desk over the inexplicable loss of his dog, and Luther is out for a run as a flock of ravens follow him around town. By the time he notices their presence, it's too late to avoid the danger that's coming. Faye, Sloane, Christopher, and Ben are there to abduct him. And on the other side of the country, Allison is in an even worse situation. She goes to her ex's house and gets in with ease, despite the fact that it's obvious to the viewer she's actually breaking and entering. She climbs the stairs, walks into her little girl's room, and finds some other little girl is there. Because her ex is married to some other woman and has a whole other family, and it's a whole screaming misunderstanding that I wish had been avoided by Allison just using her goddamn head. But to be honest, these siblings clearly share only a few brain cells between them all, so I guess it's not Allison's turn to have the brain cells today. Still in tears, Allison makes it back to the Hotel Obsidian right around the time that Victor finds he and his siblings are all in the history books as the Kennedy Six, which explains why everyone's been staring at them. Death even confirms it. He knows who they are, he's not impressed, and the hotel really does, quote, take all kinds. Even Sissy is mentioned in the entry. Apparently, Sissy died about a quarter century after Victor left her, and she had been living under a false name at the time of her death. She'd had to hide. One wonders if it's this detail in particular that prompts Victor to come out. Perhaps Victor could not stand the thought that he too might eventually die under a name and an identity that wasn't truly his. That is actually my headcanon for it, I think. Sissy died hiding who she was, and upon finding out, Victor had a crystallizing moment of realization that he could not bear to do the same someday. And so he acted on what he'd been suppressing for years. I really like that idea. I really enjoy that interpretation. I certainly like it a lot more than the vague notions of Sissy, like, awakening something in him that we get later in his scene with Allison. So, in any case, now we're back to Klaus and Diego. Klaus pulls a note from his shoe, like the absolute madman that he is, though we don't yet know what it's about. And then the family moves down into the dining room. Klaus, Five, and Diego discuss Stanley, Diego's supposed son with Lila, and then in comes Victor. He tells the other that he met with Marcus last night, and it segues awkwardly into his first instance of coming out. I'll be honest, I'm very ambivalent about this scene. Part of me really enjoys that the guys just roll with the punches here, and part of me is also a bit sad that there wasn't more, you know? Klaus, I feel, definitely should have had a lot more to say here, given both his personality and the fact that the actor portraying Klaus thinks of Klaus as a non-binary character himself. But between you and me, I think there's just one minor change that I really would have wanted in order to be fully satisfied with this subdued coming out scene. Perhaps I'm alone in this, but I wish we could have had the scene with Allison first, before this one. The scene with Allison offered the emotional catharsis that I really do feel like a TV coming out should have. A subdued, this is no big deal scene is great, yes, for how it normalizes queerness and being out, but I don't know. I just feel like it would have been more emotionally satisfying to the viewer to have the I'm so proud of you, I'm sorry I didn't notice, I love you so much regardless of your gender scene first, with the yeah that's cool, NBD scene coming next. 
Especially since there's a certain element here of the reactions being gendered, Victor's sister's reaction is emotional and nurturing, and guilty to a certain extent, and Victor's brother's reactions are all exceptionally chill and offer little in the way of emotions or comfort. It's definitely a choice. And given that one of these brothers is Klaus, who is nothing if not emotional, it's not a choice I particularly enjoy. In any case, the scene quickly moves on from the coming out to Victor explaining his conversation with Marcus. Everyone's got opinions, and not a one of them matters because Marcus doesn't even fucking exist anymore. And Five apparently wants to retire now? Sure thing, old man. That will definitely go well. Speaking of things not going well, there is screaming and power surging as the wave of energy once more expands into the city, and Five notices something strange while Klaus tries to tempt him into a road trip. The aquarium behind the bar, the one that was full of lobsters a minute ago, is now empty. But forget about the lobsters because I'm sure they're not important and we're going on a road trip. As for Stanley, Diego aspires to be a good dad, but is not one. It's hardly his fault, given that he didn't even know he was a dad until a few hours ago. And then there's the issue of Stanley's apparent ear infection or something like that. There's this puke-yellow viscous slime coming out from his ear that he supposedly needs medicine for, and Diego takes him to go buy some. But this is the point at which I become a bit suspicious of Stanley after all. This could go either way. The shot of the kid's ear is filmed in such a way as to gesture toward this is weird, huh? In a very you should be suspicious kind of fashion. But like I said in the last episode, when I feel like this show, or any show really, wants me to be suspicious about something, well now I suspect the opposite of whatever you want me to. So I'm like 25% suspicious of this kid right now, and like 75% suspicious that the writers just want me to be suspicious. I'm going to keep an eye on that ratio as we move throughout the season, I suppose, because I expect it to shift a bit as we progress through this plot. So from there, we abandon the Obsidian in favor of the Academy. Grace doesn't understand why Luther is calling her mom, and Luther is not picking up on the vibe of his encounter with the Sparrows. First, he's prepared to attack with no provocation, and then he all too quickly accepts their supposed hospitality without any suspicions at all, and I just cannot get over how dumb this man is. Bless his ass for finally realizing that he's not actually fit to be in charge of anyone, because he is so much more tolerable when he's allowed to just be a big, dumb, lovable idiot instead of a whiny failure of a tough guy. Now, he is perhaps a bit too stupid, but then again, so is everyone this season, so I suppose I can't really hold that against him. And then... Well, then there's Ben. I have come to the regrettable conclusion that Justin Min is just not a very good actor. He is extraordinarily pretty, yes, but I am starting to fear he's not terribly talented, or at the very least, he has an incredibly small range in which he can operate, because his tough guy role this season is just not really working, and it's honestly kind of painful to watch. Anyway, the gist is that the Sparrows took Luther because they think the Umbrellas took Marcus, and Luther is adult who can't seem to wrap his mind around the danger that he's in, and the Sparrows are all a bunch of aggressive psychos, and it's a whole big fiasco. They're not going to let Luther leave, and they're going to kill him if he tries to escape, and everyone's just kind of hoping that the other Umbrellas show up so that this thing can come to a head in either a rescue or a battle capacity. Next up, we have Victor trying to comfort his sister. Allison is devastated that she's lost both Claire and Ray with no way of getting back either one of them, and Victor tells her about his plan to get the briefcase. Allison is super concerned about Victor going by himself, and she of course insists that she come along for his protection, and I like that this doesn't turn into a whole thing. They're going to do this together, and I think I love Allison most when she's playing the protective sister toward Victor. 
And I'm also pretty pleased by the way the coming out scene goes. The reveal itself is skipped, but that's not really the important part. We already have seen that, essentially. The important part is the relationship between them, the quiet bond between these siblings, and the emotional support that Allison offers her most vulnerable brother. It played out beautifully, in my opinion, and that's a large part of why I wish Allison's scene had been first instead of the boys. Elsewhere in the world, Lila is on a shopping spree, it appears, and she's headed toward Berlin, or she would be if the briefcase were working. Given that it apparently worked for 12 entire years off-screen, I would say she got a good run. As for the Hargreaves, Five and Klaus are on a road trip, and I've gotta say that I'm really loving Five this season. The character has really grown on me over the course of the show. I don't recall ever disliking him, no, but I find myself really loving his smug, crotchety ass these days, and I'm so pleased he's gotten rid of those awful shorts. Anyway, Klaus reveals on the way past the world's biggest ball of twine that this road trip isn't so much meant to be a sightseeing excursion as it is a family visit. Klaus went through Reginald's stuff once upon a yesteryear and managed to find the info on his birth mother, including the fact that Reginald paid her only $3,000 for Klaus. And I made this joke in my reaction video, but I honestly don't think I'm joking here. Reginald is a billionaire, and there's a good chance that he's literally behind these girls' maternal misfortune, and if I somehow survived being in their situation, situation. Oh boy, that motherfucker would be giving me a straight up billion dollars, not to mention some degree of parental rights or hell, maybe I would just demand that he marry me with no prenup for like 10 years or something. Given that it's Reginald, that would turn out to be a terrible idea, yes, but it's not like I would know that at the time. And who's making good decisions after they've just been magically raped and forced to give birth? Not me, that's for sure. At the store, Diego and Stanley are trying to get Stanley's medicine, and in come Jamie and Alfonso. Jamie appears to be literally stealing shit, and she's definitely threatening the populace, and Diego decides to go pick a fight because it's not his turn with the brain cell, and his altercation with Alfonso starts out oddly flirty before it gets violent. And then Stanley gets in on the act. He throws a knife at Alfonso, cutting only himself in the process, and Alfonso could not possibly care less. The show is really doubling down on making sure that I won't be sad when these fuckers die, and at this point, I think we're past the point of walking that back. If I am supposed to grow to care for these people over the course of this story, the narrative is going to have an extremely uphill battle there. The only one of these clowns who is remotely tolerable is Sloane, and that's just because she's a ditzy weirdo instead of an annoying edgelord. All in all, it's a bizarre bonding moment for Diego and Stanley, and I remain unimpressed with Diego's parenting abilities. I'm sure Lila wasn't any better, of course, but I am not terribly delighted by the prospect of Diego actually raising this kid long-term. But back in Pennsylvania, Five abandons Klaus to the Amish. He wanders around trying to get info on his mom, and asking after Rachel gets him assaulted. And like, I'm getting really tired of seeing Klaus be assaulted. He's been tortured, he's been gay-bashed, and now he's literally being bullied by the fucking Amish? And I need this boy to catch a break sometime soon. So back at the academy, Sloane is trying to honey-trap Luther, who notices almost too late that she's conning him and fails to notice that she's kinda not. And unfortunately, he can't hear me in the background screaming, stop kissing your sisters, because this boy is gearing up to kiss another sister all episode. The second this girl is impressed by his trip to the moon, it is all over for all of us. He's gonna kiss his sister. And it's all over for a bunch of cows too, for some reason. That thing in the basement bursts outward once again, and it disintegrates an entire herd right in front of five, and Grace is baking it cookies for some reason, and I just don't know what to do with myself here. What on earth is that thing? As for Klaus, he makes the dangerous decision to follow an Amish woman out into the woods for a private conversation, and she reveals that she is his aunt. 
but that in this timeline, his mother died without ever having had any children. In this version of the universe, in fact, all six mothers of the surviving Umbrella Academy children died of brain hemorrhages on the day they originally gave birth. And I find myself wondering, is this a coincidence or is this by design? I don't know what to think right now. I have no concrete theories. If Reginald is behind the pregnancies, I would assume that this was purposeful on his part, which would mean that my theories about him trying to toughen up the Umbrella Academy should probably be thrown out the window. If Reginald isn't behind the pregnancies, though, well, it might serve to explain the real reason he adopted the Sparrows instead of his original choices. You can hardly adopt a bunch of kids who don't exist, can you? So, back in the city, Marcus never shows up to his meeting with Victor, and Allison is really struggling here. Her symptoms gesture toward a psychotic break in the vein of brief reactive psychosis. She's fixating on children, flashing back to the traumatic moment of finding some other little girl in Claire's bed, and fully hallucinating that the server in the diner is the racist she rumored last season. She flees the diner, under the stress, and finds Harlan, or the man I am 99% sure is Harlan, spying on her. When she tries to comfort him, he scuttles off, and she doesn't manage to catch him. I wish that she had, or more accurately, I wish that Victor had managed to catch him. I guarantee that if Victor had seen this old man, he would have recognized him, assuming, of course, that I'm right about who he is. Back at the Academy, the Sparrows agree to let Luther go since his siblings never showed up to rescue him. But they don't let him leave without a warning. If anything happens to Marcus, the Sparrows are going to kill the Umbrellas. And outside, while no one is apparently watching the perimeter, Lila mimics Faye's powers and uses a Shadow Raven to steal Five's briefcase for herself. One wonders if and when we're going to see her again. I am sure that we will, but I have no idea what she's up to. Back at the hotel, Five and Klaus have finally returned. They're breaking the news to the others that their mothers are dead in this timeline, and that they don't even exist. Each of them is a walking, talking grandfather paradox, and I have no idea what that means for the metaphysics of this universe. Will the universe begin to unravel? Is that what's happening in the basement? Is the time-space continuum trying to repair itself? Or could something even worse be happening? Wait, no, I've answered my own question. Something even worse is already happening. Sloane is floating Luther up to her bedroom for a quick makeout session, and the Luther Hargreaves don't kiss your sister challenge is officially failed. And I am mortally wounded by these two dorks stealing Willow and Tara's anti-gravity romantic moment. Tillo did it first, you guys. Tillo did it fucking first. But that is the episode. I really enjoyed it, and I'm really enjoying the mystery of this season, and I can't wait to get through the rest of these 10 episodes. I love the subversion of expectations here, and I'm really enjoying the mystery of this season, and I can't wait to get through the rest of these 10 episodes. I love the subversion of expectations here. I fully thought we were going to be doing a doppelganger story, and I was prepared to enjoy the fanservice-y fun, even if it turned out to be incredibly cliche. But instead of doing that, we're doing something so much more interesting, and I am really delighted by that turn of events. I can't wait to see how this whole thing unfolds, and ultimately, I hope season 3 turns out to be just as much fun as the first two. If nothing else, though, I'm just happy to get to see one of my favorite dysfunctional families back on screen once again. I love a good team as family true companion story, and I love all six of the surviving Umbrella Academy members at this point, and I will honestly show up to watch them flail around any story. Even Diego and Luther, who I couldn't stand in the first season, have a place in my heart by now. I really hope this season is awesome, because I really, really love this show. So, as I record this, I'm about to sit down and watch episode three. I hope episode three is also good. I will be back, of course, next week with my coverage of that episode. Um, if you are a $10 patron, you get all of my reaction videos 
as soon as they're filmed. If you are a $5 patron, you get all of my reaction videos released on the same day as the podcast episodes. And if you are a $1 or higher patron, you get access to polls determining what it is that I'm going to be watching after Umbrella Academy. Though, to be perfectly honest, I'm going to be taking at least two days off from anything you guys want me to watch because I am going to be watching the final two episodes of Stranger Things for the split second that I can. So, um, with all of that said, if you're not interested in the Patreon at all, you could leave a rating or a review on a podcatcher of your choice, or you could talk about the show on social media or to a friend. Any of that is very much appreciated. Um, beyond that, just thank you so much for listening. I am loving the thought that anyone could possibly be listening to this um, and enjoying my stupid thoughts. So, as always, Thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back next week. And I hope you are enjoying Umbrella Academy Season 3 as much as I am. And I hope we both keep enjoying it too.